Hello and welcome to the Rogers Brief. I'm Adam Rogers. Thank you for watching and thank you for listening. Now those, uh, the Mass Casualty Commission is on break now until April 11th and those that watched my video uh, from last night from uh, day 11 of the Mass Casualty Commission proceedings will have heard that I was uh, planning to come back on April 11th, uh, although if something major happened in the meantime that I would also return. Well, it didn't take long. Last night there was a, a Facebook post by Darcy Dobson, who is the daughter of Heather O'Brien, who was killed on uh, Plains Road. We heard about that yesterday in the foundational document presentation by Commission Counsel Roger Burrow. Ms. Dobson's uh, Facebook post, last time I looked, was shared close to 700 times, and not surprising because it had very dramatic information. Uh, information uh, which uh, Ms. Dobson says was shared with the Mass Casualty Commission, and actually it is uh, noted in the Mass Casualty Commission foundational document that that was. And what it was is uh, Fitbit information, data from Heather O'Brien, and this Fitbit uh, data suggests that Miss O'Brien had a heart rate, an active heart rate, until approximately 6 p.m. on April 19th, 2020. The shooting uh, on Plains Road uh, happened not long after 10 a.m. in the morning. And so for uh, Fitbit to be still active and recording a heart rate at 6 p.m., uh, certainly uh, very dramatic information to have uh, coming after the fact, uh, not included in yesterday's Mass Casualty Commission presentation of the facts of what happened along Plains Road. So uh, quite, uh, quite something. So I wanted to talk a little bit about that and about the usage of Fitbit data in court and how um, accurate that is considered to be. Uh, the, the, the exclusion of this information from yesterday's presentation, uh, though, is itself a very, uh, very important issue. I think, I think it shows the risk of this foundational document approach. Uh, you know, we have one limited version of events, and we don't have an immediate opportunity for anybody on the other uh, side, the other council, to cross-examine, to bring up other parts, other issues, other elements of the uh, situation that would give us a more fulsome understanding of what actually uh, took place that day. You know, instead, you know, we'll have witnesses at a later time, but this sort of version of events gets settled in, in people's mind. Uh, improperly so in this case. And in his introduction to the foundational documents, and this was echoed by uh, Commissioner McDonald, uh, Council Roger Burrow says that while this is disturbing information, uh, details are too disturbing, and so you know some things are not going to be covered. Well, there's ways to present disturbing information. There's euphemisms, there's, there's different ways to say things without being too graphic or gruesome about it, but still uh, gets the information across, and that didn't happen here. Left out very important information uh, in this case. Now, let's talk about Fitbits for a second for people that uh, aren't familiar with fitness trackers. Uh, 
I'm wearing one. This uh, Fitbit Versa 3. I just just got it. This is my third uh, Fitbit. Wear it all the time. Uh, it tracks your sleep. It tracks your steps. Tracks your heart rate. Your exercise uh, changes in heart rate uh, from exercise. It'll track your steps. GPS on distancing. If you're going for a run or a bike. If you're going. If you just you know. Get on the ice and start playing hockey. The Fitbit recognizes that this is uh, exercise and uh, starts tracking that for, for you know your own interest's sake, uh, comparative purposes. Now, is it accurate? Well, if you look to third-party sources, uh, you know studies that are done on these. Uh, you know, I, I like to read Outside Magazine. There's lots of other articles that show the accuracy of. You know, it's not just Fitbit, the Apple Watch, Garmin's, other fitness trackers. Uh, the accuracy of these devices is quite good, and it is uh, it is very reliable. It's been used in courts. Uh, I, I did a quick scan last night on the Canley site, which is where you can find uh, any Canadian uh, court cases which have been published. Fitness trackers aren't featured. Uh, if I just did a quick search for fitness trackers, and they're not included, but they are used, I know, in personal injury cases. People use their fitness data to demonstrate, you know, if you were an active uh, person that was running or biking or, or being, you know, a certain number of average steps a day before an injury and then after your injury, say you've gone from an average of 8,000 steps a day down to 2,000 or even less. Uh, or, you know, your exercise level, your heart rate, all of these comparators, you can use that data to show how a lifestyle change has uh, you know, been forced upon you because of an injury. Uh, so that's a way it can be used. So far, it doesn't seem to be uh, used in Canadian criminal courts much. Uh, it's not something that, well, at all, uh, it's not something that can be compelled. You can't be compelled to give up your, your personal data Although I wouldn't be surprised if that changes in the future, particularly with a very serious uh, allegation, uh, you know, a murder charge or you know, sexual assaults or these sorts of things. Uh, so we'll see how that develops in the future. I know in the United States uh, they have been used. Uh, there was one example given uh, a case out of uh, Florida where somebody had accused a person of sexual assault, but their Fitbit data showed that well, after they said they were you know, supposedly in bed and then were that they were had a, a thousand steps on their, their Fitbit and in fact had been staging a crime scene so it was used in that case to exonerate a, an innocent person so all of that is to say that the data is accurate accurate enough to be used in court of course uh, I would point out and this is the case for any social media uh, as well anything that you post publicly if you put it on Facebook if you put your you know your Fitbit data on Facebook that data or Strava, if people use Strava for running, hiking, uh, biking activities, those things that are posted publicly can always be used uh, against you as well. Uh, like I say, all to say that this is accurate data, generally speaking, which can be used uh, in court uh, and is considered quite reliable. So, uh, actually, in the in the Desmond inquiry, the question came up. Uh, Corporal Desmond's wife was wearing an Apple Watch at the, the time she was killed. and So the question uh, I asked uh, Corporal Berthium, actually who's on the uh, Mass Casualty Commission 
Hopkins involved in the, that investigation as well, but he was involved in the Desmond Inquiry investigation. Asked him whether anybody had made an attempt to get the data from uh, Shana Desmond's Apple Watch, and they didn't. They didn't feel that that was uh, ethical to try to get that data, and really it wasn't necessary in that case uh, in any event for anything that was particularly relevant to what the, the inquiry was, was seeking to find out. But here it certainly is. Uh, you know, we have... Well, I went through the foundational document in more detail last night after reading Ms. Dobson's post. So the first two officers on the scene of uh, Miss O'Brien's uh, vehicle where she was shot were Constable Coleman and Constable Fahey. Constable Coleman says that uh, she did not feel a pulse on Heather O'Brien. And then the EMRT, which I think is Emergency Medical Response Team, but these are police officers. Uh, Corporal Ivany uh, showed up, arrived, and he did it. He took over and did an assessment. Constable Fahey says that he was there and did a check with on Miss O'Brien, that she had a pulse, that she was barely alive, he, uh, is how he put it, uh, that he, uh, uh, he did some, uh, he was checking on her and then Corporal Ivany came and uh, because of his role, he took over. Constable Fahey had uh, sent away fire services and uh, also sent away uh, uh, Michelle, if I'm not saying that right, it's, uh, it looked like either Michelle or Michelena O'Brien, Miss O'Brien's daughter, who was trying to get to her mother to have a, a moment with her. He said he sent her away, sent away the ambulance, uh, or sorry, fire services as well at that time because the situation they felt was too dangerous. Although had they really recognized what was going on, they would have known that the killer was already quite far away at that time and there was no danger, but it seems as the officers on scene still felt that there was uh, quite grave danger. Constable Fahey tried to put the Jetta in park so obviously he was inside the vehicle, Miss O'Brien was still inside the vehicle, and you can't put the vehicle in park from outside. So that that's relevant because when Corporal Ivany takes over, he indicates that the doors were jammed shut and that the windows were up. So there's a direct contradiction there. Uh, Corporal Ivany originally called for EHS and life flight, but uh, that was considered to be too dangerous. And so they were not uh, they were not allowed into the scene. And Corporal Ivany felt for a pulse, but this is a problem now. Uh, Corporal Ivany is the medically trained uh, officer in the situation, and says he felt with his thumb for a pulse. Now I remember as a kid being told how to find a person's pulse on the wrist, on the neck, and I was told. First thing is, don't use your thumb, use your fingers, uh, because you might get a false false pulse through using your thumb. So that was, uh, that was concerning that he didn't, uh, didn't do that part properly. Uh, they, they both, that is uh, Corporal Ivany and uh, I think it's Constable Mahar, uh, checked other parts of uh, Miss O'Brien's uh, body to see if they could feel for a pulse and did not. Uh, feel anything. But if you read through uh, the portion of Corporal Ivany's interview that's included in the foundational document, and I should note here that not all of the documents that are uh, 
there's link is, links in the foundational document, but as of this morning, those links are not active. In other words, the, founda the, the, the other documents that feed into the foundational document, statements and such, are not uh, included. But if you read the portions that are, it really gives a picture of a frantic and chaotic scene, a rushed operation where everybody involved seems to have one eye down the road or into the woods uh, and are sort of, you know, looking around to make sure that, you know, the killer's not there or that no further uh, danger is, is observed. So they, uh, Corporal Ivney and Constable Mahar uh, note that uh, Miss O'Brien is deceased or they they feel that she is and they call off EHS. So what does that mean? That means we have no independent verification from anyone else that, uh, certainly from a medical professional, uh, that Miss O'Brien was in fact deceased at that time. Also noteworthy, the Mass Casualty Commission notes in the foundational document that they are awaiting uh, Corporal Ivany's after-action report. This is two years later. Uh, still waiting for that report. Same with uh, Constable Mahar, waiting for Constable Mahar to give an interview with the Mass Casualty Commission, uh, which seems suspicious at this point that they wouldn't have those documents uh, submitted or those interviews completed. And they note in the foundational document that they are, uh, quote, investigating the Fitbit information that was provided to them by the O'Brien family. So none of that was mentioned yesterday during the presentation by uh, Commission Counsel Mr. Burrell. So what is the purpose of these foundational document presentations, if not, you know, is it just to give us, a, you know, a, an overview or is it to dig into some of the real issues that are outstanding here? Well, I guess we have our answer from the commission that they're just, you know, going to give a, a sanitized version of, of events and not dig into the more difficult, ver uh, you know, elements of it. So, the other part of this uh, is say there was no EHS uh, called on scene or allowed on scene to do independent investigate or an independent verification. Also, the family members weren't allowed to have a moment with their loved one. You know, I don't understand this. I mean, I, I understand the reason, but I'm not persuaded by it. Is they, you know, they, I think they want to maintain some integrity of uh, the crime scene. But, you know, the, I, I think you have to let a family member have a moment with their loved one as they're dying, their, their mother, their sister. Uh, you know, I think it's just heartless not to allow that to happen. You know, there's... There's no getting that moment back. It's just uh, it's just heartbreaking to think about that from the perspective of the family member who sees their loved one in a vehicle, you know, just just a few feet away and can't get there. Uh, so, the Fitbit data itself that was uh, published there last night by uh, Miss Dobson shows that, you know, after the about the ten o'clock time frame and into the afternoon, the Fitbit data shows a heart rate somewhere above uh, an average of 120 beats per minute. That's quite high. That would be consistent with uh, pretty fast walking or other fairly vigorous uh, exercise. A resting heart rate would normally be in the 60 beats per minute range. So what does that mean? Uh, you know, then <laughs> we don't know what else happens because uh, uh, Constables Coleman and Fahi were on the scene and, uh, and watching the scene, but then they leave at uh, 2 p.m. 
and it's unknown whether the uh, the body was still there at that time. It's not noted in the foundational document. Now, could, you know, as a body is struggling under those circumstances, does the heart rate elevate uh, as it's struggling to survive? I'm not sure. That's a medical question, but there are many questions that arise from this. But really what it is is a big problem with the Mass Casualty Commission approach to this kind of evidence. Uh, the family and the public uh, deserves answers. Uh, what, you know, have they had any doctors analyzing this? Anybody analyzing what could have happened? Uh, you know, some sort of forensic work done on this? Uh, that's uh, important. I think if the family deserves it, the public deserves it. And so uh, hopefully uh, with the, the publicity associated with Ms. Dobson's post that some pressure is put on the Mass Casualty Commission to, to make that happen. So anyway, I thought that was important to come back and uh, talk about that this morning. I saw that last night and I uh, just wanted to add that to uh, what took place yesterday. So anything else arises uh, in the meantime, we'll uh, be back to talk about it. Otherwise, we'll see you on the uh, 11th of April. All right, so that's all for now. We'll uh, see you next time.